Okay, come in your Bibles to Matthew 6, verse 7. Always replicate yourself. Always be weary of someone who doesn't want to share what they know with somebody else. They're a danger. What they're saying is it can be from fear. I know I'm not digressing here, but I think I need to say this. Some people think that they know it, and if I share it, then I won't be needed. No, you will be needed. Go and train others. You'll always be needed. Share what you know. It's the principle of Scripture. Jesus gathered 12 and shared what he knew. Yeah? Was Jesus, was Jesus said, well, I'll never be needed, Father, ever share your word. Just do it. Replicate who we are, what we are, where we're going, how to get there. Amen? Let's call welcome to the Church of the Empowered. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not keep babbling. Have we any babblers in the room this morning? Y'all keeping quiet. Babblers are the pagans. So they're like pagans. So the pagans don't know how to pray. There is a company of people in the body of Christ who don't know how to tap in to the, the dimensions of heaven. Yes? And Jesus is trying to set a pattern here for how to touch the throne room, how to connect with the king. Because there's an emphasis that needs to be made because there's a group of people who don't know how to do it, so he's using the opportunity to teach them a different way. You can say amen at this point. So he says, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Do not be like them. There's a different way. So he says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. You know, we, said, we used to say this in morning assembly at church, uh, school. And we've become so familiar with this scripture that we've not seen its power. I was raised in, in a school that every morning we said this as our daily mantra. Was, you, was anybody there? Now, I know that's not the case in modern-day schools today because we've removed prayer and we've removed a lot of things out of school, even education. And the issue is, is that this is a kingdom emphasis. This is a very important... When Jesus said, this is how then you should pray, he's using the moment to put a new pattern down. Yes? He's using the moment. We never had that moment because we were never told. We were just, we were just taught to say it. We wasn't taught about it. We were just taught to say it. And by saying it, we thought we were doing some kind of favor to someone somewhere. I don't know. But Jesus is using the opportunity to put a new pattern down of how the kingdom and how the people of the kingdom should approach their heavenly father. Because how they approach him will determine how father responds. Yeah? This year, we began our year saying that we're not going to uh, seek or pursue New Year's resolutions. They're a waste of time. There's nothing wrong with setting yourself goals, but don't make a vow that you can't keep. But we said this year we will pursue a New Year revelation or a year of new revelation. Yes? It's probably a better way of saying it. A year of new revelation, which is a new year of revelation. And as I began asking the Lord, what type of revelation do you need me to realize, to understand, to see, he began to make this emphasis to me in my own spirit. And then as I began to listen to what uh, Dr. Jonathan was saying, he was beginning to make a very similar, well, he was making the emphasis. I just partnered with it in the spirit. And God was putting the software on my desktop ready for the files coming over. Yes, that's how we know we're walking in the spirit. You're thinking one thing, I'm thinking the same thing, but we've not spoken. That's God. Because if you're in the spirit, there should be no confusion. So we, we, we sink our hearts with the same God, the same Christ, the same Lord, and God begins to speak. Now, he might give a man, this man, a lot more revelation than he gave this man. But nevertheless, he's given this man the, the, need, uh, the, the uh, icon on the desktop to run the software. Yes? So he began to emphasize this, Matthew 6, 9, speaking to me uh, of this kingdom. And... Uh, and it began to speak to me in a way that I'd never seen it before. As I said, I remember saying it in school and many, many times. And God is saying, my people need a new revelation. The way they perceive me, the way they pursue me, 
it's not good enough. I'm moving beyond them. I'm moving faster than them. My people need to keep up. They need to keep up with what I'm doing in the nations, what I'm doing in their life, what I'm doing around them. People need to keep up, pick up pace. And I feel in the spirit there's a new emphasis coming. God, it's, it's stuff that God's always spoken about, but he's, he's re-emphasizing it in our generation. He's emphasizing it in your life. It's not a new race we're running. It's a continual race. He's, Christ is not a new revelation. He's been there since the beginning. But in your time, in your generation, in your walk, in your circumstance, and in your context, God is beginning to make a new emphasis. So it's new to you, but it's continual to him. Does that make sense? It's just continual. It's always, he's been saying these things in every generation, but now you've got hold of it and you think that you're the only one who's got hold of it. It doesn't matter. You've got hold of it. That's the issue. And these, this new emphasis that Christ is making, I begin to write, write in about this in, in my book, The Standard Bearers. Start my, one of my second chapters, this new emphasis that God is making on the church. And God is beginning to show me about this whole thing of the kingdom yet again. Why? Because it's always been his heart. It's always been his heart. If he can teach his disciples and it can be recorded in the Bible, it's therefore needed. It's not there for history. It wasn't an historical conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. This is then how we should pray. Yes? If we read the Bible just in the historical context, it has no relevance to us. So if this word is living and active, then every word that he said to them, he's saying to me. Of course it has historical context. Of course it does. We're not ignoring that fact. But if I only have a place of scripture in historical context, then I'm not there. But this word is living and active. And it will, this is the word that will transform nations. So when he's speaking to Peter, he's speaking to me also. There's a lesson there for me. Does that make sense? So... We need to better understand what Christ is saying. So therefore, the more you make an emphasis on something, the more urgency and the more importance you give to something. Now think of it this way. If you could see into the future, I'm being, I'm being physical now, I'm not talking about spiritual. If you could see into the future and see things happening and unfolding and you could tell somebody or warn somebody to avoid and avert danger, how much emphasis do you think you would make? Come on, think about it. You would place, you would do everything you can to find language, terminology, illustrations. You would do all that you can to make an emphasis to warn somebody about what was coming and how they can avoid it or how they can get in line with it. That's what Jesus Christ has done. Through scripture. He's told you beforehand so that you're equipped when it comes. Think about it. Though your eyes have not seen it, though your ears have not heard it, your spirit has perceived it. Why? Because these are the things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and he's telling you when your spirit begins to perceive things, it's because Christ is making an emphasis. He's trying to put an emphasis on what is about to happen. In your life. Now, hear what I'm saying because I'm going somewhere. God is speaking to us ahead of time. Well ahead of time. God is beautiful. He doesn't tell you a minute before the event. He gives you plenty of time to get ready, to make preparations. But he keeps speaking because his intent is that it must happen somewhere in someone else's generation. The issue is you choose whether it's going to be you he's going to use. And I choose whether it's me is going to be used. So God's been speaking to us slowly, precept upon precept, and he makes his emphasis. And in a season, we've known this season as a Kairos season. It's a unique season when it seems like the door that could never open, it's like a bank vault. You know, it's on a timer. You can't open it before. There's no key that just opens it. It's set. And it's, and it's opens at a set time. And tons and tons of galvanized steel automatically open in a preset time. In a preset time. 
That's the Kairos season. And that's what God's doing. He's making an emphasis because the church is going to step into a season. And when doors were closed, now they're going to be open. That's why the Bible says, see, there's a door that no one can shut. And there's a door that no one can open. And it's times and seasons that God is getting the church and getting the individuals ready for. So when God begins to speak to this, he begins to put urgency, importance, and criticalness. Is that a word? Criticalness? Or is this morning? Critical. What is it? Any. Criticalness. That's it. He begins to press those things into the hearts of his saints so that they'll begin to rise, so there'll be a new action on the ground. And the moment God begins to put things in our hearts, urgency and criticalness and, and, and importance into our hearts, it begins to arrest you in a way that it's never, you've never been arrested. God has a unique way of arresting his people. He really does. The police have their way. The army have their way. Every martial arts have their way of arresting or defending. God has his way. Yes? So God's issue of his kingdom coming forth. This is there now you should pray. Thy kingdom come. First issue. The first issue is the kingdom must come. As it is in heaven, so it must be done on the earth. So the issue that God is emphasizing is the kingdom must come. It must come. It has to come. The issue is who will allow it to come? Who is going to allow this kingdom to come? How is it? What is this kingdom, Lord? Let's just deal with the first issue. If it's urgent and it's important and it's critical in Christ's heart, then I must have it. I must carry what's in his heart. This is then how you should pray. So he's telling us that if we pray in a certain way, fruit will come that would never have come if we pray the way the pagans pray. So you come in with your list, your many words, you try and formulate, formulate prayers, God is not interested. Why? Because those who seek me must be worshipped, must come in spirit and in truth. I like to pray inspired prayers. <clears throat> this week I'm praying and the Holy Spirit just begins to quicken me. And it's amazing how two emotions can happen in, in, in 24 hours. One minute I'm praying a prayer on the Tuesday. It's inspired. Heaven's opening to me. I'm writing notes like, like, you know, like I can't keep up. And I'm seeing heaven, I'm seeing the future, and I'm seeing it. And then on the Wednesday, it's like I couldn't, there wasn't enough faith to raise the wings of a gnat. Heavens were like brass. It's like, where's the Tuesday God? On Tuesday, God was speaking. Heaven was open. On Wednesday, it was closed. It's like, hey, have you gone, hello? What happened? Has anybody ever witnessed that? So you think to yourself, did I? You can, you can be silly and say, did I do something wrong? No. Not every day will be like that. But if God spoke to me on a Tuesday, right? He doesn't mean to say he'll speak to me at that level every day. But the issue is, will I still come to him? Will I come to him? Will I be found in his presence? So Tuesday was a great day. Wednesday weren't so great. Thursday was mediocre. Friday was better. Saturday was better. Sunday is good. So it's not how you start, it's how you finish, as the song says. So don't worry if you have the days when the heavens seem like brass, because they are. There's sometimes when you just can't get through. It's like your phone, you've got one signal on your bar. I should say one bar on your, on your phone. And it's like, we're not downloading today, the signal strength is not good. Now maybe it was my emotions, maybe it was my focus, maybe I was using too many words, I don't know. But my signal strength was not good. But on the Tuesday, it was brilliant. It was, it was a great day. But the issue is, is not how many days he speaks to me. It's will I do something with what he's saying. So his number one priority is to see the kingdom come. To better and understand how it can manifest on the earth. Okay, Lord, you say your kingdom come. I'm hearing what you're saying. But what does this mean? How, how, I need a revelation of your kingdom. What is your kingdom? I know that this is not my purpose this morning to unfold the dimensions of the kingdom. I want to say other things this morning about, excuse me, about how Christ is leading us. The emphasis that God is leading us into. If you want to know the kingdom, I'm going to give it to you in three short steps. 
Christ revealed is the first. For, kingdom, for thy kingdom to come and his will to be done, Christ must be revealed. It's not done by knowledge, but it's done by the more Christ is revealed, the more we understand of what is required of us in that moment. True? The more scripture begins to open up, the more the son begins to reveal himself, the scriptures become, here's a word you may not have heard before, the scriptures become illuminated. They light up. And God allows us to step in and see that what we couldn't have seen had that light not shone. It's called the illumination of scripture. I won't baffle you what theologians, how the theologians call it, why they call it that, but it's the illumination of scripture. So when you read Something you see shines bright. It gets your attention in a way that you've never seen it before. You've read that passage of scripture maybe hundreds of times. But today, it takes particular attention. It has a particular emphasis in your life. And Christ revealed is the ultimate emphasis. Because the moment we see Christ, the moment we see his father. And the moment we talk to the father, he reveals his son. And the moment we, we interact with the Father and the Son, we, we fall in love with the Holy Ghost. And the more we fall in love with the Holy Ghost, he just keeps showing us the Father and the Son. And it's a beautiful, no one takes glory for himself. It's just a beautiful shared uh, picture of how the Trinity wants us, there are three aspects of the same God. Yeah, but yet unique in their own way. So God wants us to, to uh, see his Son we pursue a fresh, the moment we see Christ, we pursue a fresh insight, a, a fresh revelation, a, a fresh perception and understanding. And we gain, he leaves us with a fresh emphasis. See, Tuesday left me with a massive emphasis. As I began to pray and began to write notes down, I was under no impression whatsoever what the emphasis was of my encounter. Now, that might not be your experience. Keep going. It will become one. Don't we? Keep going. Keep pursuing God, right? I don't, want make, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I've got this kind of relationship with God that nobody else can have. Like I say, Wednesday, it was that. It wasn't Orange Wednesday. It wasn't Orange Wednesday at all. It was, it was just, it was a, a flat Wednesday. It was like the weather report. Tuesday, the sun was shining. It was warm in the room. Wednesday, it was cloudy. It rained. God didn't speak. Wednesday, sorry, Thursday, better. Friday, and the weather picked up. So even though it's foggy now, I can still see. And that's how God and our relationship is for many of us. The next thing is as Christ is revealed, the church begins to be reformed. You'll never change the behavior and the functions of the present day church if Christ is not revealed. I want you to track these three things because this year we'll talk a lot about this. Christ revealed. It's the ultimate revelation we can ever have. In everything that's said and done, Christ must be revealed and keep on being revealed. It's the ultimate. Yeah? We don't want to hear about God. We want to see God, touch God, as well as hear about him. Amen? Amen? Everything must lead to Christ being revealed in greater dimensions. So when Christ is revealed, the next level is it begins to move the church into a new reformation. The church begins to be reformed because as you see more of Christ, your behavior starts to change. Amen? The altar gets, has more significance in your life. God's word has more priority in your life. God can emphasize more in the church and the church begins to come to maturity and a new behavior is birthed in the church. Hello? And then the church comes under reformation. We're not talking about dark age reformation now. The church needs reforming. Because what we see modern day church today, it's become so usual, so predictable, that it's no longer become unusual. So the church has to be reformed. So Christ is revealed. The church is reformed. It leads to the stage three of the kingdom coming is the city begins to be transformed. You cannot have kingdom transformation, city transformation without Christ being revealed and the church being reformed. See, most people pray for revival 
and all they do is pray for revival and Christ is not revealed in them. The church is not reformed, but they want Christ to be revealed in the community without them doing it. Okay? They want God to do the work for them and think as they prayed, that was the only work that God was asking them to do. So when the people come into the church, they come into a church that has no Christ constantly being revealed, a church that has old, outdated behavior. Why? To bring them to the same place where they've come. Is that really God's heart? No. He wants to transform a nation, a city. So he can only do that when Christ is revealed. The more, listen, the biggest obstacle you'll ever find in the church is when you try to reveal Christ. Hello? I'm amazed some of you still come. Because the more we press in for Christ, some will leave, but others will come. So, that's okay. We must keep on speaking what is being revealed. Because the moment we stop speaking what's being revealed and stop being the demonstration and speaking the transformation, Christ will stop revealing himself. Then we'll become an organization that just maintains what it heard 30, 40 years ago. It becomes an old wine in an old wineskin. Yes? So we see when the church is reformed, the revelation and understanding takes us to becoming an unusual believer. Unusual is the, is the benchmark. I want to become unusual. Not weird. Unusual. Transformation will take it to a point where God is clearly seen. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful for David Cameron to get up in the Houses of Parliament and say, just before we commence our business today, let's, let's just give ourselves to the Lord. Oh, that's a, just a pipe dream, no. But how do we get to that place? Somebody has to reveal Christ to David Cameron. David Cameron has to see a church that, he has to go to a church that knows how to function biblically and apostolically, because they're the patterns. So when David Cameron steps into his arena, his domain, he takes Christ and now he's revealing it to our nation. That's how you bring national transformation. So you don't bring national transformation sat inside in on a Sunday morning. You have to empower the church, so Christ, you have to reveal Christ. You have to change the behavior of the people so that it then leads to your people going out in the marketplace and being light, salt and light. That's how transformation comes. But we all want David Cameron to stand up and lead our nation. But how is it going to happen? It's not going to happen just by prayer. Prayer's involved, without a doubt. Someone's got to go and tell David Cameron. Someone's got to go and show him. Someone's got to be the model. Someone's got to help him. Someone's got to teach him the principles of the kingdom. This is how you change a nation. You see, for David Cameron to stand up and say, let's give the Lord's prayer, there's opposition to every other kind of faith and to every other kind of persuasion. And then he starts getting hammered because he's now a religious bigot. Or, and now because he, uh, he doesn't let the, praise, uh, the gays pray, or he doesn't let anybody at other minority sects pray. He's now under threat, but the church must advance. What kind of prayer is it, though? Carol says they have to pray. Cummins has to pray. But I don't know what kind of prayer it is. But can you imagine if he did it on public TV? And, and he started saying, Our Father, you are the God of this nation. You put the word great into Britain. Oh, Father, we stand on the, on the backs of our forefathers and we smash Islam. Can you imagine? We come against every rule, every th power, every authority that sets itself up against the knowledge of our God and we proclaim Jesus Christ as the only way, the only truth. Can you imagine? Ah, benches will be stoning him. Now, I'm not suggesting he does that on public TV. In that three-minute prayer, he might want to do that. Because eventually our nation's going to start having Muslims, right, and other faith persuasions in its cabinet. You know, if America could wake up one morning to the unthinkable of a black man being in a white house, why can't Britain wake up to a Muslim leader, prime minister? It can happen, church. But the church, we've got to learn the principles of this kingdom. It's got to become our revelation. 
how to put, manifest this kingdom. Hello? So we as a church are embarking at a stage. We're at stage one of this. This is where we're at right now. We're not into church. The church is not reformed yet. None of you are reformed. But you're on the journey to being reformed. But the church as a global body has not yet been reformed. Why? Because its behavior in the main has not changed. Hello? But being a governing church means governing behavior. There has to be a behavior. You are governed by a different kind of behavior. That's what a governing church does and is. So we're in the, the number one stage right now. We're pressing in this year, a New Year's revelation, so that Christ can be revealed. We are starting the journey on this transformation. Yes, this is where we are as a church. I want you to be very clear about where we are. This year, we will pursue Christ so he's revealed in every type, every shadow, every form he possibly can. So you have no excuse. Christ will be revealed and he will continually be being revealed. So we let the walls speak. Every banner we have will speak and keep synergizing and synchronizing with what heaven's saying. So that the people have no excuse. Does that make sense? Then we'll move in. The more Christ is revealed and the more we let Christ come into our lives, the more we become reformed. Not deformed. Not dysfunctional. And not derailed. The more we become reformed in our heart, spirit and mind. This is the only way the church can ever, ever rise above the common status of our society. Amen? And then city transformed, it just seems so far away. When you walk down, it'd be nice for our ladies to walk down the street safe, irrespective of any time, irrespective of any area. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there's a God consciousness right across our city, that people, it was governing people's behavior. It made them check before they did things. It'd be wonderful, but that's what God wants. So that's what the church has got to work towards. And you think, well, God, it's bigger than us. Of course he's bigger than you. Of course he's bigger than you. And it'll involve more than you. If it's so easy, he wouldn't ask us to do it. But this is our first stage. Now I remember, some of you might remember in July, two, uh, July the 6th, 2005. Ooh, it's a long time ago, don't it? Yes. Just letting you know in my old age, I've still got a memory. This was the day that it was announced that Lord Sebastian Coe, a former Olympic winner himself, had won the bid for Great Britain to host the Olympic Games. Yeah? What games? The 2012 Games. 2005, we won the bid. The Games wasn't till when? Right. It seemed a long time ago, did it not? From the moment we won the Games to actually having the Games. And we beat, in the last final hurdle, we beat France... Sorry, Dimitri, we beat, oh, he's gone in anyway, it doesn't matter. We beat the French. And the Spaniards, because they were the two that was looking for the votes as well. And Grand-Bretagne won the day. The nation was in jubilant form. People were so impressed that we'd won this bid. New jobs was going to come in. It meant a new economy was going to arise, for, for, certainly for London. The politicians told us it was for all, all the nation, but London really benefited from it and but we all had a great games because of it the nation was jubilant but the very next day does anybody remember what happened the very next day terrorists struck our nation and three tube stations was attacked and a bus was blown up and the nation went from a high to an instant low how the pendulum can swing in 24 hours an amazing thing took place you know, as people were waking up with a hangover after celebrating the good news, now they had a headache of a different kind to find out that terrorists are struck and Britain had to wake up to a new enemy, a new form of, of terrorism was now beginning to ravage the nation. Do you remember that? And the pendulum swung from a high to a low. And then now take July, go back to July 2005. It was 10 years ago since we had the Olympic Games, since the initial bid was made and the nation was, that was 10 years ago. A whole decade has passed. 
It doesn't seem like two minutes ago, does it? Hello? They announced to us in July the 6th, 2005, that the greatest games was coming to town. And the moment they announced it to us, preparations began to take place. And invariably, they're always saying, well, this stadium be on time. Will the infrastructure be in place? And then the, the journalists begin to get negative. It's never going to be on time. It's never going to, and it's always on time. It's like within the World Cup. Oh, the stadiums won't be ready. The sta but the games go on. Who, who cares about the infrastructure? <laughs> as long as you get to the games. But the infrastructure's got to be there. I appreciate that. Because you won't get a license to open the stadium unless the infrastructure's put in. You didn't know that, did you? Every road, every artery leading to a stadium and away to a stadium is the first priority, not the stadium. Now, if you worked as a steward at Old Trafford like I did, that was what we were taught. They have to be able to clear a stadium in less than 15 minutes. Literally. And, and that can be 80,000, 100,000. It doesn't matter how many. 15 minutes is the maximum you get to clear the stadium. So if anything explodes, the people are well away. Once you were blind, now you can see. It might have changed now, but that's what it was when I was a steward. And I was running Old Trafford. Me and Phil were running Old Trafford. You notice that was the time when they, were glo they had all the, the, the glory. We walked away. It's all gone downhill now. Yeah, Phil was playing. <laughs> that's when he went wrong. So the issue is, what, the issue is, what is your point, Tony? What are you making? What point are you trying to make? Well, I'm glad you asked. Is that when God gives you vision, it can suddenly, what seems so far away, can suddenly just gallop and pass you. And you think you had all the time in the world to prepare, but you didn't. Make hay when the sun shines. And what other metaphor you want to use. But we cannot afford to be idle when God's speaking to us. Because God's placing an emphasis on, on, on us to do things in a time and a season, knowing what's coming. Now, he doesn't tell you in the year 6, y, you know, whatever it is, 2017, 18, he just lets you know in the spirit it's coming. But what I'm about to take you into in a minute, I can give you a date. I can give you a year at least. Vision must have preparation. It must have preparation. And preparation must take place immediately. Immediately, immediately, the moment the word comes, it must find a place and an action must come from it immediately. How long it takes you to respond to God's word will determine whether God can use you. I felt around November time of 2014 that God began to drop into my heart this vision or this emphasis of the kingdom. Yeah? Yeah? And as I began to read it and it began to explode inside me, I began to see things I'm going to share with you now. I began to see that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the whole issue of authentic sonship is something God has graciously given to us as a house. And I began to see that how God was desiring that this authentic sonship should become a full-time school, not a Thursday night. Not just, a, a, not just a, uh, a group on a Thursday or a teaching session on a Thursday. Nothing wrong with that. That's called the days of beginning. That's called the days of beginning. Because what we're trying to do is bring everybody into discipleship now, but there's going to come a time when the format will completely change. And God was clearly beginning to speak to us about how this school will become part of your DNA how God will give us a platform to reach nations through this school. Amen? Not, it's not just a, any training school, it's a full-time school. How we work the dynamics out of that is irrelevant at this point in time. But the, it's enough for us to put that blueprint down, put that in your, in your frame of reference that a school is coming. A school is coming from the east of Manchester. God is taking us beyond the church that will raise, sorry, God is asking us to become a church that will raise an army of standard bearers. 
Amen? People who will serve those, listen, people who will serve those over them, get this, around them, in front of them, and below them. I'll talk to you more about that in Authentic. But there has to be an aspect of our discipleship. People have to serve those above them. That's called following the chain of command. Okay? Then there's those in front of you. Whenever you see the need, there are those below you. You might be older than some people. And it takes humility to go and work with different generations who are lower than you or who are younger than you. When I say lower is not maybe the right word, but younger than you. Those around you, above you, in front of you. This is going to be the heartbeat of our school. So they'll serve the, the accuracy of leadership and them serving and submitting to leadership, godly leadership, heavenly leadership, it'll be there. Serving community will be there. Serving a younger generation will be there. Serving an older generation, it'll be there. Everything about our school will be servant. That's the standard. That is the standard of a standard bearer. It's a servant. First and foremost, a disciple is a servant. Something that's been lost. And in my new book, I'll show you the difference between a high, how the church has hired workers, but it doesn't have a servant workforce. It has hired help. And we can't build the kingdom on hired help. We can only build it on servant workforce. The recruitment is all wrong. We're looking for people to do jobs. There ain't no jobs. Because you can walk away from a job the moment you don't like it. But a servant is obligated. There's a difference. And this is one thing we've really got to press in the kingdom, and it will be pressed in our school. The servant, serve the nations. Serve your community. Serve God. Serve your leadership. Serve your family. Serve, serve, serve. Amen? God is, God is asking us to become this. Standard bearers. These standard bearers will be the ones who's going to pioneer the works. Pioneering works. I really believe that God's going to give us a pioneering nature. You could say amen at that point. It's all right, some of you have gone home by this time. We need pioneers. All our activity will not be inside here. No. The only activity will be inside here is training, equipping, encouraging. Helping, strengthening. Ready, why? But out there. We're going inside out. Amen? Our school will reveal Christ. It must reveal Christ and what it means to know and serve him. This is the dimension. We will be, you know, and here's another thing we're going to, I really sense that God's going to say is this. We will become a local, national, and international base. We'll become a local, national, and international base. That's why you need pioneers. To send people out to become a local, national, international base. Now, right now you think, oh, Pastor, you've been smoking something. Well, guess what? I'd rather smoke what I'm smoking than what you're smoking. At least what I'm smoking gives me vision. Gives me dreams. Gives me hope. And guess what? When I'm not smoking, I still feel the same. It doesn't wear off. This school will perfectly dovetail with the tree of Tameside. Because the tree of Tameside, no one's been able to harness the strength of those young generation. People threw money at it. Local council threw money at it. And then they cursed them. They said, this is a generation who are useless. But God says to us, speak tenderly to the tree. Keep speaking to it. And speaking, I kept saying, Lord, why isn't this tree bearing fruit? And he kept saying, tell him this is the year to bear fruit. So we send, we send it. In, keep speaking tenderly to the tree. It's what our banner says. The walls are speaking. We feel this over our region, over our nation. And then God says, you develop the school and you watch the tree. You watch the tree begin to yield its fruit. Now the tree has somewhere to, to flow to. The tree needs somewhere to flow to. It just doesn't need a young generation sat in church on the backside. It needs a generation who can be trained, equipped and empowered to go and pioneer and change the nation. Then they can be the, they can be the demonstration. They can speak the transformation and tell them how we once we felt useless. 
And now Christ has got hold of our life. You can't argue with young people when they get reformed. The school will help us to secure a legacy. It will help us to secure our legacy. We will have into school, and this is where I saw it again, a fresh living legacy will come back online. We had, we had thoughts and dreams of how to put a legacy based all around the Wizard of Oz. How school needs courage. It needs a heart. It needs a brain. But it needs a Dorothy. You ever seen the movie Wizard of Oz? Those guys could never have been transformed if Dorothy hadn't have stepped into their world. And I have felt God show me, this will be the metaphor you use. You will send your workers into the school. That's the Dorothy. Why? Because those kids need courage. They need heart and they need intelligence. And this will become our arm into the schools. This is how you start to transform a nation. This is how you begin to transform. All this will come from authentic. This is, this is how God will begin to use us. Straight away, we've had loose ties, but all of a sudden, God's going to pick all the ties up in a season and just plug them in. Amen? This is your church. This is the church we see. Let's not put it in the corner. Let's get it out. Don't leave it in the corner. It never, should never be in the corner, that sign. should never, ever be in the corner. Why? That's the church we see and proclaim. That's, that's typical of what churches do. The church they see, they put in a corner. That's no one's fault it's in the corner. I'm not blaming you. But please, if you see that in the corner, bring it to the forefront. Let it be a reminder, everything in this church must speak. The Bible says, the stones cry out. Let's not leave it to them. It's our job. They cry out because there's nobody there. So, go in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. I hope I'm inspiring you this morning. I'm inspired. I'm tickled pink about this. This is Tuesday's message. And when God begins to open the heavens, scriptures begin to flow. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, I've not had to struggle to put this together. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book of Numbers of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So how many years? 70 years. I gave attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant, loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly, wickedly and we've rebelled, even turning aside from your commands and ordinances. Moreover, Lord, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Servants, right there. Who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. So Daniel's beginning to see some things 70 years ago was spoken. How long? 70, that's a long time. No, I'm not talking to you about 70 years. I'm talking to you about three years. We've already counted down. Well, as soon as we entered into January 2015, the clock started because in three years, less than three years, we will have our school. Our school will go live. So we give us plenty of time to work, to form, to fashion, because there's a reason for that, because you have to be the first fruit. You have to be the first fruit. So I've got three years to work with you, on you, through you. You've got three years to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Why? So that you can come to the front line so you can become an arrow in the Father's quiver. God's given you three years so you can become the first fruit generation. So when the next come, you've already, there's already a line, there's already a model, there's already a pattern in the house. True? God's smart. He gives us time to prepare. So Daniel observed. The first thing he did was observe. If Christ is going to be revealed, we must observe what is being revealed. We must observe what is about to be revealed. Daniel received a revelation of what had already been written. It was already there, but nobody saw it. And Daniel began to see, his, his, the scriptures became illuminated. 
As he began to see this, God was peeling back the secret and he was revealing it to Daniel. Why? Because he wanted a new action to come from it. Amen? God was revealing to him what he was about to do to Daniel. God is revealing to you and to me what he's about to do. Daniel acted. Second thing, he observed and then he acted. Or you could say, Daniel, in, the, in verse 3, he gave attention. He gave, so, he, so he observed, he gave attention, and then he acted. What did he act on? He acted on the writings that came from Moses and the prophets. And he studied the prophetic writings of Jeremiah about the Jews being taken into captivity. The 70 years. Daniel understood. So he, he uh, what was, go back to me again. I forgot my point now. He observed, he paid attention, he acted. Yes. And then he understood. He understood what needed to be doing, to be done. And he used all he could to bring to attention what God was saying. This is what we must do. See, I have this confidence in my heart, and it really is a confidence. And I said it to Phil early last year. I said, I just have this distinct sense in my heart. The moment we get serious about authentic sonship, God is going to overwhelm us. Did I not say that to you? I said, I have this confidence. We must start this. We must do it. And as we keep on doing it, God will bring the traffic to us. God will bring all that we need to us. But this is something that's going to change the history of our church. This is literally going to change who we are, what we are. Our purpose is going to be put in stone. What we are. So he understood, he observed, he brought a new action. Daniel knew what righteous actions had to be taken in order to bring God's spoken word to pass. Righteous actions have to take place. What kind of actions? Righteous ones. You can't just do anything. You've got to have righteous acts. Every word must require an action. Daniel began confessing the sins. He knew that was a blockage to what God was about to do. So he began to confess the sins, the iniquity, the wickedness of the fathers and of the prophets. Many who had gone before. So he identified with the people and he said, Lord, we've sinned. We've blown it. But Lord... Though we were a generation of dipsticks, don't hold it against us. It's a new day. You're speaking fresh. You've shown me this word. Why? Because you wanted to step into something new. And God's mercy forgave him. So whatever our past is, God can forgive us. He can forgive us and give us a new clean, a clean slate. He can give us a new day. When the word comes to us, it's not to, it's not to condemn us. It's to bring us to a new position. That was the whole point of God this morning was to untie the knots. So we can adorn that beauty that around our, our, our spirit that he always, was always intended for us. Amen? Daniel then prayed for two years and fasted for two years. We're talking two and a half years, well, two, nearly three years. Daniel prepared for two years, prayed and fasted about how God, about his wickedness, the nation's wickedness. He prayed about how God would begin to move afresh. Church, for two, for two years he did it. We're ready, we're ready to go live in three, in less than three. But we'll do a lot of praying. We'll do a lot of fasting. We'll do a lot of sowing. Why? Because we're going to show God our actions are righteous and sincere. Amen? Daniel did this. <clears throat> he took on the full responsibility of this. He took on the weight of what God was wanting to do. I believe God is putting the weight on this church to take the full responsibility for authentic sonship. It rests on everyone. It may be carried by so many people, but the responsibility is on everyone. Because without vision, the people perish and are cast off restraint. I would rather people get brassed off with us for having vision than for having none. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. Daniel received this revelation, which was taken out of Isaiah 45, verse 13. I will raise up Cyrus, 
in my righteousness, and I'll make all his ways straight, and he'll rebuild my city, city transformation, and he'll set all my exiles free, church reformation, not for price or reward. Hey, uncontaminated, he's clean. That which was prophesied took place in 538 BC. As Cyrus issued decree that all the exiles could return home. Cyrus didn't know what was written. Somebody had to go and tell him. It was already written about him. Can you imagine? You reading the Bible sometime and you're finding the dream center in there. And God said what he was going to do about dream center, but we'd never seen it until an illumination came on. He said, that's about us. He's talking about us. That's how God writes. He wrote about nations. He wrote about leaders. He wrote about kings. He wrote about prophets. He wrote about his church. We're part of the living God. So he wrote about us. He just got to have the eyes to see it. What part is speaking to you? That's me, Lord. That's me. Right, rise. So when you're sick and that word comes to you, what do you say? That's me. So what does that word say? Rise. So you rise. But you never saw it. You never thought it meant you. But today, he illuminated that word to show you that you're included. Amen? Now, do we have the arms? Oh, do that. Look at yourself. Go on, do that. Do we have the arms? Well, I'm pushing some weight in the gym. I'm struggling at this point in time at this particular weight, but I'm still pushing. I'm lifting more this year than I lifted last year. It only has to be a kilo more, but I'm leaving more, but it's more than a kilo. Phil snorts more than that. No, don't be joking. Proverbs 31, verse 17 says about the Proverbs 31 woman. She sets her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. Ladies, let's have a look at your arms. The Proverbs 31 woman should be able to do that. Her arms are strong. They carry. They're built for carrying. Carrying. God gave you two in case one was obsolete. Ladies, you need strong arms. <laughs> yeah, for when you're coming home from Tesco's, carry the bags. But we need strong arms, not just the ladies. We need strong arms. And she vigorously, vigorous, can't say it, vigorously sets out about her work. She has strong arms. Amen? Why? Because she sees that her trading is profitable. She sees that what she can do will, will become profitable. She's not just doing anything. She's not doing everything. She's doing what's in her capacity. Yes? And guess what? When she does what her arms were made to do, and she stays within her realm... Her lamp never goes out. It doesn't go out at night. It doesn't go out any time. She's constantly got light for the journey, for a pursuit. So we need strong arms to carry the weight, the task of this school. This is only one aspect of where we'll be as a church. The school's only one aspect. Right now, I'm not going to freak you out with anything else. Just put down the school, Okay? It's like for the first time ever in my life, God's given me a three-year long-term plan. I've never had that. I never saw past my dinner. But now I can see three years in advance. God's given me eyes to see into the future. I love it. I've been praying for this. Praying, and he's known. He's heard me cry, Lord, show me. Get us out onto the field. In her hands, she holds the distaff. Distaff. And grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor. See, she serves what's in front of her. Her hands to the needy, those around her. When it snows, she goes sledging. No, no, it doesn't say that. When it snows, she has no fear of her household. Why? Because there's provision in the house. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. The woman made room for that which God was doing 
in the region. The woman made room for what God was doing through her in that house and in that region. See, many people will spend the next three years pursuing their own careers. There's nothing wrong in pursuing a career. But guess what? The kingdom still hasn't come through you. When will the kingdom ever get through you? That's the issue. You can pursue, but take the kingdom with you. Nothing wrong with pursuing a career, bettering yourself, giving yourself more resources, but take the kingdom. Why? Because it's the law of first. Seek first the kingdom. It can't be your second and expect the benefits of the first. It's got to be the first. So here's the issue, church. I'm going to leave you with this one. I'm going to dump and run. 2 Kings 4 verse 8. Just give me this. I know time's going by, but just give me this couple of minutes. Then we're out of here. 2 Kings 4 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem. And a well-to-do woman was there. What kind of woman? A well-to-do woman. Who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So the issue is, God is bringing things to us. She made room. The woman carried the man and his message in her heart. She observed this man time and time again coming by her house. She knew he was a prophet. She knew he was a man of God. She knew he carried the stature of God upon him. And yet something in her heart saw his need. Something in his heart saw a need. Church, I'm asking you to see what's in my heart. To see what's in God's heart. Let's put it in my heart so it becomes your heart. From the father to his son to his body. Amen? Then it becomes our vision. So you've got to make room for that which God is saying and the man God is saying through the man becomes yours. It's our vision. It's our vision. It's our school. It's ultimately his, but he's given us responsibility and ownership. Okay, well, he's got ownership. He's given us responsibility. The woman carried the man and his message in her heart. That's first stage, you've got to pray. Second stage, the woman made room, both in her heart and in her husband's heart. It was a, it was a joint decision. She said to her husband, she pointed it out to her husband, the man, was, the man was thick. He didn't see it. She saw it. This guy walks past our house. She's observant. She's perceptive. She saw what was going on. And instantly she said to her husband, this man cannot continue, keep walking here. He's got nowhere to stay. So we need to make room in our house, in our family. We need to plan how we can create another room. It's called an extension. It's called buying another house. They're the things, practical things. Why? Because this man... We want him part of our house. We want to be part of what God's doing in this man. Hello? We want to be part. We want to associate with what God's doing in this man's life. So she says to her husband, honey, we've got to make a room. How do you think, honey, if we put another room upstairs with a table, a bed, a lamp, give this guy some food, give him a place to stay? And the guy went, you know what, honey? That sounds great. Why? Because God was moving on him. God was moving on him. He'd give you three years to come to that conclusion. But you might need to buy another house. You might need to plan an extension. Why? Because God's going to bring students. God's going to bring students. Seriously. Now you might plan, well in three years time, Johnny's off our hands. It's a great opportunity to get Johnny off your hands or Sally off your hands and bring in somebody else. God has to prepare the hearts of his people for the vision so that the people can step into the grace. Her husband stepped into the grace that was on the wife. The wife saw it. She verbalized it. 
and the man came into agreement with it. There needs to be a grace. You can't go home to your husband and say, only in three years' time, the good news is someone's coming in, the bad news is you're moving out. <laughs> there has to be a grace for a pair of you. There has to be a grace for the pair of you. And if you're not married and you're on your own, you still need a grace. You still need a grace. God, he says in Acts 11, 23, and when they arrived, they saw the evidence of the grace of God and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. The people saw the evidence of the grace. Church, nothing's going to be finalized today, but the road to embracing this vision starts today. Three years from now, we will keep speaking about this. We'll keep sowing. We'll keep chipping. We'll, we'll create an offering so we can sow in. Why? Because the offering shows us where our hearts will be. So when, because I've got this feeling we're going to have to pay for some overseas students from some of the African nations to bring them here. Then we can, we'll have, a, we'll have a, a nightmare with visas. But guess what? That's a nightmare we're willing to face. But many of the African nations now, certainly the colonies, can get access into us because of the colonies. So I can see us having a foothold in Africa. And then, who knows, other nations will start coming. We'll start with nationals. We'll start with, and then we'll move into internationals. Well, we'll start with locals. That's, that's the first phase. That's you. Then we'll start with international, sorry, nationals and then internationals. God will bring in as according to our faithfulness and our determination to step in. So one of the good things about having Grace and having Scott being discipled in Australia, they will become such a resource to us in the days ahead because they have already, been, they have already seen how you can, our full-time school works and operates and they'll be able to encourage us and synergize us and put their strength alongside us. This is why it's worth sowing them for two years, I don't know how long Grace will be there, but I know Scott's there for two years, and thank you, thank you from his father for supporting him. Thank you for supporting him. You know, I don't get a penny of your support. He, gives, he gets it. I just get the flight bills and all the other bills that come along. But the issue is, is without, it's, it's a great joy for me to sow him, right? Because the Bible says, if I sow, I'll reap. Now, I didn't sow him to reap. I just knew the reaping would take over. So Scott coming back at the end of this year, or 2016, so we're in 15, aren't we? 16, he'll still be in advance, so the school wouldn't have started by then. But guess what? Preparation is taking place now. Preparation meets opportunity. And Grace, Grace Duffield left. But the grace that's coming back is going to be evident. The grace upon grace will be evident. This is a transformed life. Now, if you can see the evidence of transformed lives, why wouldn't you buy into it? Why wouldn't you buy into full-time discipleship? It's got to be. It's the only way. I'm convinced this kingdom will come, and it'll only come by raising an army of standard bearers who will become arrows in the quiver of the Father. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. I would ask you to get this CD and begin to play this CD again and begin to ask God, Father, what's my part in this? First, first step is join your heart. Join your heart with it. There'll always be the early adopters. Do they call them adopters? The first people who adopt it. They see it, adopt it. Then you've got the, what's the next ones? The last ones, the laggards. I know that. They're the ones who are still thinking about getting a video. You know, darling, we're not on video no more. We're on DVDs or MP3s or whatever you want to call it. HDs and anything with a D in it. The thing is, is those are the laggards. Don't be a laggard. Be an innovator. Be a forerunner. Be a reformer. So right now, let's put our, put our hands up. Give me... Give me the grace to accept what Pastor's saying, Lord. I know it's from you. I haven't asked you for anything. All I've, asked you, all I've told you is what's going to happen. Well, God will keep on working on our hearts over a period of time 
Start planning, thinking about it. The early adopters will start planning now. We can make already, already before I shared this with you this morning, what people didn't know is what I was going to share. Already two people have said, we want to make room in our house for students. God has already prepared two hearts in advance. And others will come in, confident of it. Why? We don't know how many. We're just making room. Just making room. Because the one thing I see, certainly in Australia, see, the, the culture of England is this. The Englishman's castle is his what? In other words, he takes pride. He doesn't want anybody to come in. But there's one thing I see about the grace, the evidence upon Southern Lights is that people make their homes available. So available. It's just humbling to see. It really is. But you know, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's the way we think. You say, well, I can't do it because my husband. Fine, if you can't do it, you can't do it. You can't do it. But you might say, well, Lord, work on my husband or work on my wife and let's see what God does. You know, no one's saying you have to have one next week. They're not coming next week. You're coming next week, next Thursday. Sorry, this Thursday, which is next one to me. Amen? So let's put, raise our hands. Let's adopt the same posture we, 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 we worship with. Father, you are spirit and in truth. I'm bringing my spirit and my truth with yours. Lord, speak to me about what's been said this morning. Speak to me. Show me if there's any concerns, any fears, any suggestions, oh God, I can make to improve. Father, show me. Let me make room. Don't make a vow today. Don't make a vow. Don't email me next week and say, I'm in. It's three years left. Don't make a vow because you're emotional right now. Oh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Don't do it. Wait. You've got time. Just let God prepare your heart. Just uh, All I'm asking you today is to rise in the spirit and say, Lord, I'm taking the word. The word let the word do its work. Speak to me on this. Show me my part. If there's a part, show me how I can make room for, for what you're about to do. I don't, need, I don't need to give the pastor a yes or a no today. It's not defined today. It's just put out there today. We're starting the journey towards it. Amen? Father, work on my heart. Work on our hearts, Holy Spirit. Work on our hearts. Keep speaking to us about how you're going to do it. Give me pictures, oh God. Give me words. Show me how I can become an arrow in the quiver. That when I'm, I can be strategically fired. Lord, you say that in the day of your power, your troops will become willing. So, Father, prepare us. Get us ready for the journey ahead. This is part of our crossing over, church. This is why we crossed over. Amen? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.